You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org. Welcome. It's wonderful to have uh, all of you here tonight. I'm so thankful that you've joined us. We've got some others joining us right now. Um, we've got some guests that we had uh, on the part one, and we've got some uh, new guests this evening. This is the Peacemakers panel. Uh, we're uh, discussing um, purity culture and all its many aspects. Um, Steve and I have very strong uh, opinions and uh, convictions about this topic, and uh, we're really glad to host this time. And we really just want to uh, provide a space, a safe place um, for people to speak, to talk, to be heard. And we are trusting in God that he will work in a powerful way to give us what we need tonight. That uh, when two or more are gathered together, that um, really wonderful things will happen, that God will be here and work. And so we're really grateful for this time. When we talk about this topic, there are scriptures like 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 3, that I mean, 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3, that talk about um, modesty and really give a challenge for um, people to be modest, for women to dress modestly. And um, yet that those passages in many ways have been misused and particularly that word has kind of been commandeered and used to produce some things that have not been really healthy at all. And if you joined us last time, then you've heard us already begin this discussion. Um, but one, that word uh, modesty, modest. Um, one of the definitions of that word um, is downcast eyes. And it denotes that or connotes that that kind of uh, humility. And you know, in that those passages, that word was used really to mean uh, it, it was an admonition against pride, against materialism not actually against, um, you know, trying to prevent someone from sexually lusting, that that wasn't actually the, the intent of it. And yet it's been, it's been taken and used and, and misused in a lot of ways. Um, so we want to have that humility, those downcast eyes, that we want to come with that heart. We want to do this in a modest way. Um, we want there to be boldness and, and uh, truthfulness, um, but, and we want to do this with faith, but also we, we really want to, Steve and I want to have our humility, and we want to urge all that are listening, that, um, and all of the, maybe there are people out there, parents raising children, or, or leaders, or people that really need to hear these things, that we want to come with a heart of, of humility to listen to really be quick to listen. And um, so anyway, why don't we begin with a word of prayer tonight and um, then Steve, maybe you can welcome some of our specific people. 
So bow with me, please. Father, thank you so much for this time together. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that we can come together as disciples of Jesus and that we can talk honestly from the heart, openly. Father, we pray that this really truly would be a safe place to talk and to be heard. We pray that you would meet the needs out there. We don't really know what they are, but you do. You know what every person listening really needs to hear. And Father, we pray that you would use these words tonight and these interactions um, to really meet those needs. We love you, Father, and we pray that we would be able to be a light to the world and that the culture in the church would be healthy and bring honor to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, let me change this. It is good to, uh, to, okay, let me be really humble out here. I've only been doing Zoom for about 10 years now. And I just want to know if when the person's speaking, I never figured that button. I've looked at every stinking button here. Is the person speaking the one that's that everybody can see the screen? Yes. Okay. Well, I've done that. But anyway, I don't know. I, I want to thank uh, Ollie for being here. There, I've got a lot of, I would say, new friends, folks that we don't really, you know, you younger guys, we don't spend any time together. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And thanks for letting us be a part of this. Uh, Nadine, it's always great to see you. It's always good to hang out with you. I, I love what you're doing with your hair. I think surely we can find a fundraiser somewhere to shave your head again. And, uh, but thanks. Thanks for, uh, Nadine, really, thanks for all that you do. And uh, thanks for the encouragement you are to us personally. And thanks for your encouragement for us to, uh, to try to take uh, the, the, the steps to be a safe place for folks to talk about things. And, uh, and I especially want to welcome uh, Kevin and Caitlin. Uh, uh, so good to see you. Kevin and Caitlin Smith are here with us tonight. And they have led... Uh, our purity ministry here uh, in Portland for I think like the last 17, 18 years. No, I, no it's been it's it's been a, it's been a good a good while, and it started. It has sort of evolved as a group. Uh, but uh, uh, can I put you guys on the spot just for a second? Say hi to everybody and tell them a little bit about what you've been doing. Um, when the hell does start? But we can. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say it's, it's yes, it's ready. Have you guys? I'm gonna watch the dogs. Guys. <laughs> Over here. Yeah, we can give like um. So hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm a big Kevin. Um, and we've just a little bit about us. Um, maybe a quick summary. We're originally from the Midwest. We're Ohioans, and we moved to Portland. I moved here like nine years ago yours is like 11 years ago and we've been in the church uh in this fellowship for nine years nine years 2011 uh is when we were baptized so i moved here from chicago um by way of ohio um and kevin moved here from ohio um so we've been in the church uh probably not that long compared to if some of you have grown up in the church you've been around it a lot longer um, both of us didn't grow up going to church. Um, we didn't grow up in um, what I would per se our religious families. 
we have siblings and parents on different ends of the spectrum as far as not believing in God and believing in God. So I think for some of you, maybe it's a little bit different, but just so you know where we're coming from. Uh, and we grew up <laughs> heavily in the world <laughs> in college and past college um, for, for Kevin. <laughs> uh, I became a disciple when I was in grad school and it was later. He's a little bit older than me. <laughs> so, but just so you guys know that, a little bit of summary background. And then, uh, so in Portland, we started uh, facilitating the purity group here about four years ago. Um, and it really came out of, at the time, we felt uh, a necessity really for our friends. Um, we just had a lot of people. Um, Kevin and I tend to like attract a lot of people who are amazing and beautiful and will are just going through a lot because we're, um, everybody's, we try to be a safe place for people. Like we don't care what you're doing. Um, you're an adult, it's your choice to make decisions. And I think that because that's kind of how we live our life and how we treat our family, uh, our spiritual family, it just tends to attract um, people who are hurting uh, or going through a lot. And at the time, um, a handful of our friends were all there. There was a slew of different scenarios, but like dating outside of the church, or like sleeping with somebody, or just things were going on that you know, per se, in the church, were not accepted. <laughs> and uh, and it happened to all come to us, and it, it got to the point. Honestly, for me personally, I felt um, responsible for all these people that I loved, and I felt overwhelmed. Like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Like, what do I do? <laughs> so um, we came to all these, to our friends, um, some who were going through stuff, some who weren't. And we just said, hey, we want to try. We looked into Pure and Simple, like the Wideners. And like, we talked to the Clarks in New Jersey that do a purity group. We talked to a lot of different people to get advice, talked to Steve and Lisa. And we're like, hey, let's just kind of wing it and try this thing called a purity group. And we literally just went to our friends and said, would you be willing to be our guinea pigs? Because we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> um, and they said, yeah. So we do it by quarters. So we started, we did our first quarter. Uh, we just picked a random book, like did these things. And at the end of it, you know, we sat there with the people who are in group and we're like, okay, cool. So should we keep going? And they're like, yeah. And so every quarter we just like would open it up to the church and ask for more people if they wanted to come. It is anonymous. It is confidential. We do not share anything. Like Stephen Lisa didn't even know who's in the group unless those people went to them. Um, we don't talk about anybody's business uh, because it's not our place. And we're just here. Yeah, <laughs> we're just here to be helpful. Um, and so, yeah, we've been doing that. To be honest, we've been doing it up to we did it in quarters, so Q1 of this year, and then pandemic. I've we sort of took a break from it. We, I mean, <laughs> from ultimately, from, from life in general, we sort of threw it threw it on pause. But I mean, it was just something that it was it was needed in our eyes from like the heartbreak of seeing our friends really wrestling with their relationship with God, and so seeking out these other things in their life to try to fill that void. And so we wanted to start a group where people could get vulnerable and be open about where they were 
in their life and with their relationship with God and what was going on. And, and it quickly grew that it was amazing how vulnerable people would get when, when we initiated the vulnerability first, you know, and we would share about our lives, you know, because some people in the church and uh, knew who we were and knew our stories, but a lot of people that came to group didn't know, you know, they're like, oh, these people have been a part of the church and they didn't really know, but like Caitlin and I dated before we got reached out to, and we did four and a half years long distance, we got reached out to separately. Um, and so there's a long story that, that sort of happened there. So we dated in the world, got reached out to, obviously a bunch in our relationship changed once we started studying the Bible and realized, you know, we needed to make some, you know, drastic changes in the way that we conducted ourselves. Um, and so that changed a lot of stuff prior to, you know, us dating or that sort of dating and then dating in the kingdom and then getting married. And then that sort of led to a trajectory of how we were going to live our marriage and be married. And just seeing a lot of people in the church that were married and both good examples and bad, you know, and just seeing people like that were really struggling in their marriage, honestly. So the group started not only out of our single friends that were dating and, you know, this and that, but like seeing people in our lives that we really cared about getting divorces and some of them over like infidelity and purity issues. And so it like really rocked our hearts to being like, you know, these couples that we really loved and cared for and seeing, you know, the destruction of their relationship with God being eroded and over sometimes people not being completely open and vulnerable and communicating with their spouse, like all of these different issues. And so we decided we were, we, for our marriage, wanted to like have a safe space where we could, I mean, we knew about our past, you know, but we could be completely open and vulnerable about, you know, the way that we are on our day-to-day -day walk, right? And then, um, you know, going into like not knowing how to run a group to doing it and then, you know, doing it for a good amount of time. And, you know, after a year or so, like ending up, you know, going through finding books and literature that we really liked, writing workbooks for our group, you know, that wasn't out there because we really liked the book, but but they didn't have any like questions and, and stuff for people to actually work on. Um, so we did whatever we could because, you know, we fell in love with the brokenness of people being like completely vulnerable about where they were. And that's like something that has drawn us back time and time again, because ultimately like we all grow so much more when we can be open about like, you know, whatever it is in our life that we're struggling with and having a, a safe space to go and people in our lives that we can say anything to. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't change. Even people that walk away from God or, you know, leave the church. It's like, we still want them to know when they're hurting, they can come back. They can come to us. You know what I mean? And I think that that is something that sometimes has not always been the example. You know, that is just like, uh, the, you know, they fell away. You know, I, I don't want to talk with them. I, or, you know, even people, 
you know, um, saying don't, you don't want, like, you can't talk with this person because of their conduct, you know, and we've dealt We've, we've dealt with that personally in our story, you know, things that ha happened in our story. So, um, and finding a community, like we were talking about this evening, just like finding a community where you can be vulnerable and you can talk about these things, even if it's not in like your small group or your group of friends, right? Is going to the National Purity Conference, we learned there's a lot of people out there, like even elders in churches that are fighting to have the conversation about how to change purity culture in the church and they're fighting it. And, you know, and they're elders in the church. It's like people, our parents age that are like, how do I do this? How do I start a group? How do I like make a difference? You know, it's not just teenagers that want things to be different. You know, it's every demographic out there of people that are like, we need this to be good and healthy and safe for our congregants. You know, so, um, yeah, we've been doing it for a while and, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a great experience. And we've got to talk to a lot of people from all over the country and the world of, you know, over these sort of things, um, and sort of the culture of, of purity and how it sort of manifests itself in the church sometimes in an unhealthy way, and then how to help correct that or um follow god's sort of direction in in the sort of application of what what it actually looks like and not sort of um misconstruing some of the scriptures or like putting our own personal bias on certain scriptures but also sort of the the heart of the issue like like jesus's ministry you know is the intent of you know what what is to be done, I guess. Or well, we are very, very grateful for you. And the things that you've shared really show like a culture we're going for. You know, it's like there, we've got to change the culture in the church. And I think you guys have uh, set the pace a lot in, in trying to do that. And we want to do that. I know that um, we've got. Um, Nadine with us here as well, uh, Nadine Templer, and um, it's been just wonderful. Last time, uh, the time that we got to spend together, I know that she's had maybe has a bit of an update for us. Uh, we had quite a bit of response from our last uh, from our last uh, time together. Nadine, uh, you want to share with us uh, a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yes, lots going on. I spend a lot of time on the phone these days, <laughs> um, but the response has been overall very positive. Uh, and I wanted to share that at the beginning of this call, just to let you guys know that I know this conversation was, was started and initiated by young people, and we're very proud of you for that. Uh, but it's reaching other generations. And I think Kevin and Caitlin were just alluding to that. Um, as I talk to more and more people, and I'm reaching out to a lot of the leadership in the ICOC, what I find is actually a lot of people think this way too. It just hasn't been a conversation. So I have personally been very encouraged by how many leaders, elders, parents, church leaders, actually, they're 
they understand what we're talking about and they agree with it. <laughs> so I just think that we need to engage um, respectfully, but I think we need to engage. We need to have those conversations. We need to, and what I have noticed is the older people are, and especially people who have raised children already tend to be more receptive. Um, I think life teaches us a few things. I know that's definitely the case for me. A lot of my convictions come from raising my own children and the mistakes that I've made in raising my kids. And so uh, I just wanted to share that right off the bat that I think, you know, I'm very hopeful. Um, I think the really good conversations are happening. I would encourage you to engage, just engage, reach out, get time with your church leader, get time with the elders, explain what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Don't be shy, just, just engage. You may be pleasantly surprised by how people respond actually. So right now there's a lot going on. I think it's really good, it's really healthy. I think the dialogue is, is really happening. Uh, maybe not everywhere yet. I realize depending on where you are, it may it may be different, but I um, I'm hopeful. I think this is a great conversation, and I'm grateful that the youth started this. Um, so yeah, that's my little update. I probably won't say very much during the rest of the call because I want this to be your platform. But uh, this is what what's been going on from my side. So keep pray for me, please. Um, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So it's always good to have you. And um, I know that so many of the young people in the kingdom trust you and uh, love you. And we're grateful for that, too. We feel supported. Um, tonight, we also have with us some, um, some of the group uh, Wound of My People. Um, and we're really grateful to have you with us tonight. You are sacrificing. We know that you live on the East Coast and it's really getting late there. And some of you have very early calls in the morning. So we're thankful. We're very thankful to hear from you. Uh, we've got Lifeline LA uh, represented here tonight, I believe as well, uh, which we're very grateful for you. And then Isabel, I think is with us. Uh, with, uh, Isabel wrote a response. Uh, that's kind of traveled around, I think, the kingdom uh, from our last event. And we're very grateful for you being with us and your, your kind and, and sp deeply spiritual way of putting the response. I just thought it was such a, a wonderful response. So thank you, Isabel. We've got some people here from Portland as well uh, that are joining us uh, tonight. So I'm going to just open it up now and let you guys just ha have at it. Uh, we want to hear what do you want what I know you all came with something to say and I want you to say what you came to say so uh, you guys are working out your order but just really we would love to know about purity culture how it's affected you or what you wish um, what you want uh, maybe leaders to know or parents to know or Christian men to know specifically or Christian women like what what, what do you want to say about this topic that you think is very helpful and needed at this moment? Okay. I'm going to start cool. now. Oh, I'm not awesome. going to the after his. Okay. Okay, great. Totally cool. So, I mean, this is amazing. Uh, I, am a, I am on the East Coast, but this is giving me lots of energy and motivation. So I'm just super grateful to be here. Um, 
For anyone that doesn't know me, I'm Alan Tolbert. I am in uh, the Philadelphia campus ministry. I'm currently in grad school at the Curtis Institute of Music, and uh, I am one of the Wound of My People members who is here tonight. So we're super grateful for the Portland Church for putting this together again and for inviting us. Um, I am probably not alone in feeling like I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, people who don't know what they're doing, getting together and trying is usually how cool things end up happening. So let's see if that happens. But, um, you know, just to share something um, briefly about, um, you know, obviously being very excited about what's going on here. Um, I guess for, for anybody that's watching, um, I understand this to be the midweek service for the Portland, Portland church tonight. Am I correct? Or, you know, people in Portland are definitely hearing about it. And um, for anybody that's watching this, whenever you're checking it out, um, you know, you might be wondering, especially if um, you aren't in the same circles that myself and my peers of the younger generation, Gen Z and millennials, um, you might be wondering like, why, why are we addressing this? Like why a part two? Um, and why are groups like Wound of My People and Lifeline LA and um, the Purity Group in Portland um, even insistent in, in these matters? And I think that you know, we've in, in, in this fellowship of churches, the International Church of Christ, of which I've been a member for the past four years, we've done such an amazing job at teaching about purity. Um, and what I mean is we've done it a lot and we put a lot of care into it. Um, and I've one of the things that I've admired so much about this fellowship is, is how much we really do care. Um, sometimes the best intentions, of course, don't always follow through, but we really do put in effort. I really admire that about us. But I think that, you know, a scripture that comes to mind in terms of us kind of broadening our horizons is John 10 verses 9 and 10. Um, Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And in talking about purity and in doing such a great job in terms of just giving effort, you know, the reason why we're here is because we can't assume that we're done you know, exploring the entire spectrum of what purity means. Um, we're here, it's 2020, um, and we've learned what we've learned up to this point. But what we've discovered and what I think God has done such an amazing job of doing this year is kind of blowing the lid off of so many topics and showing us, okay, here's, here's where you can still grow and learn. So I think the reason why we're here and why we keep showing up and why we keep wanting to be insistent in these matters is because I think God has really shown us through the voices of people of our generation who are hurt by how things are currently set up, that there's more in this life to the full that Jesus wants for us in our sexual purity, in our relationships with each other that we want to talk about. Um, so I could keep going and I'm sure I might pop in later but again, super excited for this and mostly just to hear all, all of you rather than me speaking. I just can't wait to hear all of your thoughts. But um, yeah, that's what I have to share. Thank you. You're so professional, Alan. And uh, I think uh, <laughs> that's what I love about you. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I think I second your sentiment on we've done a great job of talking about purity, but I also think it's because we've made conversation of purity the go-to for every single discipleship matter that we have. Like, it seems like everything comes back to 
uh, our ability to stay pure in the eyes of what we've made it, like which is entirely of a sexual nature, you know, where purity should essentially be literally that, like about being pure before the Lord. And so there's so many aspects and avenues that that takes, but we've even taken all of those things and made it directly about your ability to to have sex or your ability to entice another or your ability to lead someone else astray you know to the point that we've kind of not only done the disservice of making a lot of things that aren't impure impure we've also allowed the, a, our conversations about this impurity to supersede our conversations about anything else that's necessary like i think of one of the first times i experienced uh like racism in our church and i remember talking to a person who was discipling me at the time i was like yeah this sister said something crazy to me that like I was like, wow, I cannot believe I would be getting these kind of comments from a, a sister about race, about my race. And uh, based off of that, like who I'm allowed to date and whatnot. I don't want to get into that too much. But upon telling uh, my discipler about this, the conversation then became, oh, I feel like you're spending too much time around the sisters, you know, like what's going on there? And I'm like, wait, so we can't talk about the ways that I've been wrong or the ways that I'm trying to wrestle with things without talking about my like relationship to impurity, if it, it uh, speculative at best. So I just feel like for the uh, immediately for our conversations on these matters, I think we need honestly a lot more selflessness in these conversations where we're not taking everything through our own vein and we're accepting a world outside of ourselves and honestly a lot more perseverance as well because I also think designating everything as uh, an object of impurity is honestly lazy work extremely lazy Christianity and it's just not the type of efforts that we see in the Bible like we talk about how tenets of discipleship are longevity you know we talk about oh and the disciple following the rabbi would do this eternally mimicking every movement making sure that they can painstakingly be like Christ but I think we've very easily because we want to focus on matters of impurity, because we want to be able to give the quick gotcha answer to that, we've completely allowed ourselves to not do the hard work in so many areas of our discipleship. So that's just the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to kind of touch on, um, so when I was working on that article um, about kind of the response to the last panel. Um, I had so many conversations about the last panel. I thought I listened to it. I thought it was great. Um, I, and I 
I was like, wow, this is an amazing conversation starter. Like it was just such a good thing to take and run with and go and have these conversations. Um, so the next couple of weeks after that first panel came out, I could, you know, I, I spent uh, like hours every day on the phone with so many different types of people. Um, and it was, it taught me so much. I mean, I, I talked to like elders, teachers, all these people that are like, whoa, up there in the church. I talked to people who um, were in really conservative, like legalistic ministries. I talked to people who were in like really loose. I don't know. I just talked to like every single type of person, I feel like. Um, some people who struggle with their purity, some people who've never struggled with their purity. And it was just so interesting getting every single like response. And honestly, like it was really hard for me because there were some, there was like some division in how people reacted to the first um, podcast, um, which I thought was just really interesting because I felt like once, when, like when I talked to those people, it, it, it seemed like the main, the main concerns were like, oh, it's being divisive or, oh, they're not having a spirit of submission or, you know, different things like that would come up from a lot of different people I talked to. And I was, it was interesting because I was like, okay, first of all, maybe you should like go listen to it again. <laughs> Cause I listened to it like three times and they kept on saying like, no, we want, we want advice. Like advice is amazing. Please get advice. Please go talk to older people. Please seek wisdom. Like that's like key. Like it, they say it over and over. Um, and they say that like, no, this is why we're talking about these things is because we want to not cause division and the division will come if we sweep these things under the rug because whether we like it or not, these things have caused so much pain in the church. And like, I know a lot of people, maybe they don't see it. Maybe they don't talk to, I don't know, the right people, but I just, the amount of my friends who have been hurt and traumatized, honestly, or deterred from the church because of some of these things is, it just like, it hurts me so much and nothing makes me more upset and yeah, upset than, than when, when the church is not a safe place for people. Um, and when we use spiritual words or spiritual whatever to make someone feel less than, or make someone feel like they can't be open or they can't, um, be themselves. And obviously we won't, we, I, I'm all for purity. I, you know, I have strong convictions on that. Everyone on here, I'm sure does. Um, everyone on the previous panel kept on saying, no, we still like, we're not saying like, we want to be lax on our purity. That's the opposite. <laughs> we want to have more of a heart of purity. And so I guess I'm saying that for if anybody's like a skeptic and listening to this, um, just to, I guess, listen and you know, maybe what we're saying isn't perfect. Maybe, you know, we're obviously we're not Jesus, but like, just listen because enough people have these hurts for it to be a conversation that we can't ignore basically. <laughs> so. I can't hear you, Rachel. Am I the only one? Oh, this happens on our calls all the time too. <laughs> Rachel. Uh. Rachel will be back. There will there is a quick fix. It won't take long, but maybe in the meantime, somebody else should grab the speaking stick.
hi, I'll talk. I've been like a floating square for a little bit because I've been putting kids to bed, but I'm just grateful to be here and for the conversation to be happening. I think I'm 30, how am I? I'm 37. And I, my parents were converted when I was 14. So I'm kind of like half in kingdom kid, half out. And I think so often when I question things or question why something was happening, even now I feel like I'm bucking against the system and not helping or figuring it out or understanding or trying to understand God more. And that happened a lot early on, which I took as, I don't know, just not knowing God the way everyone else was, or I'm, I wasn't spiritual enough. Um, but purity was always taught in my church. I, I was converted in North Carolina and it was always taught in my church as like a way to differentiate ourselves from other Christians because everyone was Christian in you know North Carolina. So it wasn't like there weren't churches to go to. So it was like, how do I differentiate myself from these other churches? Well, we are different. We don't see we don't, we don't do this the same or no one in our church is going to live together, even if they go to church together, you know, anything like that. And I think so much of purity was about fear and not about love, not about being close to God or being like God. It was like, this is a step you can't come back from, or, oh, do you see what happened to that sister? She really messed up and you don't want to be like that. And I think it wasn't until I, I don't know, my mid-20s, I, I really feel like I tried to figure out how do I get closer to God and not just be afraid of God and not just be afraid of getting retribution from God. And I think, especially now, I don't know, I, I don't want to have a gospel of fear. I want a gospel of love. And so I think that that is a really important aspect of purity that we miss out on when we teach it in the way that a lot of us have learned it. Yay, it worked. It's always happened. Um, I'm Rachel, sorry for that. Um, but also, yeah, I really agree with what you're saying, um, Jimison. Isabel, um, I quickly, really quickly, because we forgot to say, Wound of My People is a group on the Eastish Coastish. <laughs> um, but I'm based in Virginia. Gian and Alan started the whole thing, like, aren't silly, relatively speaking. We got another girl, Elise, who's in uh, Boston. We have another friend, Bailey, who is in North Carolina, South Carolina, one of them. Um, and we're just kind of about what you guys are about just talking about these things that are hard that I just you um and someone just had to say it and maybe that somebody said a little too rough with her so maybe that somebody got in trouble for saying it but now everyone can talk about it I think uh I'm on my phone audio for this whole thing. Um, so I'm so sorry. Um, but 
yeah, I just I think I've learned a lot in the past year when it uh, comes to my purity or when it comes to even just how to look at other people's purity. And I really um, just value this conversation that we're having because um, I think what what's happened a lot or what I've seen is like people gen- like we want to talk about it or we have this like genuine like um, desire to be good, desire to be pure. Like we want, I think everyone's in agreement. We all want to please God in that way um, and honor God with our bodies. But then the material and the content that we go to has actually been really harmful. Um, The content that we consume to get help um, hurts other people. Uh, The content that we've gotten has so often objectified the other sex. Um, like men, uh, men's purity books have so often object, like left with this rhetoric of women as um, chemical reactions for you. And that's not what I am. I'm sorry. That's not it. Um, and vice versa as like men are, are not my emotional fix. Uh, men are not more, so much more than that. Like you guys are great. Um, and so I think like, the um I just think so often of of the David and Bathsheba like instance um that gets taught so often you have a very good hearted like good intentioned like usage of scripture like look how sorrowful he was look how great David was really weeping before God and we forget that he raped her like we forget that he like killed her husband and took her without her permission and we just forget all these different things because like oh but he was so sorry like it's like no that content is actually quite harmful um and so I think we really need to be careful about all the nuances of what we're presenting in the bible and the nuances that we're presenting um to each other when it comes to this um topic um because uh I've recently been reading this book sex god by Rob Bell it's a really great book Alan says it's a great book Johnson's a great book. We say it's a great book. Um, but there's a whole chapter about this becoming, like, a, a human becoming a thing, a human becoming an object. Um, and I think that's often what um, the, the well-intentioned content leaves us with. Um, it becomes, oh, your shirt's too low, or because I'm just a cleavage, like, or, oh, like, your shorts are too short, like, cause you're just like a butt or whatever. I don't know. Like, it's just like, you're all these things, but it's like, no, I'm so much more than that. And there's so many other ways to deal with that. Um, than just avoiding, avoiding the parts of your body altogether or avoiding people altogether. Um, cause then on the flip side, you have this rhetoric of purity being a very fragile thing. Um, that if you breathe too hard, it will break. And purity is not that way. Uh, purity is redemptive purity is strong purity is love and I think um, I think we all can really agree with that but when it comes to the way we talk to each other when it comes to the content we consume I think there's a dissonance I think we've seen it that's why we're talking about it yeah Uh, hi I'm Matt Uh, and Celine, my wife. Uh, yeah, so I actually grew up with Rachel. Uh, I've known her since I was 11 years old. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I we experienced a lot of the same things, even being a part of the same team industry growing up. 
Um, I, I, I really do resonate with what both you and Shamisa said. Um, I think a, a huge thing about purity culture um, growing up as a, a teen is that it doesn't just start when you're a disciple. Um, like being a, a teen who grows up in a church, like it's, it's way before that. Like, you know, it's your whole life. Like how you treat women, how you view women, how you view sex, how you view all these different things are, are very much being like implemented into your life as you're growing up in so many different areas. And I, th I just think that that's such a, a difficult thing for me to even just dissect um, because of like growing up in this church and growing up a part of our fellowship. It's, it's a really difficult thing to talk about um, in general. Like sex was a really difficult thing to talk about um, at church. I, I recall so many times where it being brought up and there being just this kind of like awkwardness around it. And I think that was always a huge hindrance for me growing up um, and a huge hindrance for like a lot of teens um, growing up is just how weird it was to discuss, even though there's a whole book in the Bible that kind of explores it. Um, and I, re I remember even me and another uh, brother before we were both studying the Bible at the time, we go into our teen leaders and asking them, hey, can we read Song of Songs? And him being like, I don't care. I'm like, do, <laughs> do what you want. Uh, was like, I wouldn't advise it, but do what you want. Um, and uh, and it was it was kind of weird for me that there was this thing that was very obviously throughout the Bible, and I think that's even a huge thing, um, is that sex is so much sex is in the Bible, um, in weird places and idioms and different things like that. Like once you get older, you start reading like what these things mean, and you're like, no, what did what? And uh, but yeah, so like all this craziness is in the Bible, and the Bible speaks very plainly about it, but in church. It was such a taboo topic um, growing up. And I, I just think that in itself created such, so much fear in us <laughs> growing up and so much like uh, confusion about things that we were all going through, but no one was discussing, no one was talking about. Um, and then we're all like studying the Bible, we become disciples. And then we're like, then it gets real because you're, you're 15 years old, you just became a disciple and your hormones are at the highest level ever. And you're really trying to figure yourself out. And it's real awkward to talk about. And they're telling you everything not to do, but no one's telling you the purpose of all these feelings and all these different emotions and different things like that. Um, but they're telling you everything not to do. You see people get disfellowship for it. You see, you see so many things just happening. And, um, and it's, it's, it creates an environment that's, it's, it, if anything, it doesn't allow for people to be um, open and vulnerable with one another and instead, it creates an environment for people to hide and to really honestly just like really deal with it in bad ways and even creates cycles for people. I remember being in campus ministry and uh, we had this one, Gian, you might have actually been there. Uh, we had a, uh, this one campus retreat where they asked Brothers, stand up. Brothers, stand up if you've been pure for the last like six months. See, Gian was there. <laughs> and, uh, and then we had another one that was like, all right, what about the last three months? What about the last two months? What about the last? Yeah, I'm being real. This is honestly, this really happened. And I know brothers who lied in that very moment. Um, and I, I even lied in that very moment about how my purity was going. And, um, but that's, that's, that's the culture we grew up in. Um, so it's, 
I I just wanted to be real if I'm gonna be on here. Um, these things really like happened to me growing up. Um, and these are things that like, I think that I even want to see different, like me and Selene have a conversation about having kids in the future. And I was really thinking like, will I let my son date? Will I let my daughter date? Will I let her go through these different things? Like what, how will I address these things when they're at the age that I was at? Um, how will I speak about these different things? And I think it's important as like us as a kingdom and as parents in the kingdom to really like critically think about these things and not just say no, no, but really help people to understand what are, are the purposes of sex. Like that, I didn't learn it until we started doing marriage counseling with the Smith. And I was like, oh, there's like a godly reason for this? Like what? Like I did, I just thought it was something you don't do. Like, uh, but yeah, I, I, all that to say, I think that there's a, a lot of things that I grew up with that I think that need to be truly like discussed and talked about and re rethought um, as far as purity culture goes. I want to share really quick while our mic is still on collectively. Um, I, yeah, I mean, Matt grew up in the church. I didn't. Um, I was converted when I was a teen. So kind of similar to like Shamise where I'm kind of like in both worlds where I have family in the ministry, but I was convert like I didn't I didn't grow up in the church though, and I had experiences like in the world with impurity, purity, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then also I have a lot of best friends that have grown up in this church and we have different experiences. Um, but I thought that Rachel pointed out something really interesting in the, just this idea. She said like Rachel said, we all have kind of this desire to be pure. We all have a desire to be good. And I just think that that's interesting that one of the things within this culture that we've built is equating purity to good. But what does that actually mean? Um, and that being something that like we're striving to be pure, which equals like we're striving to be good, like in God's eyes kind of thing. Um, and even I was a part, I've been a part of um, Kevin and Caitlin's purity group, which is awesome. I've been in part of purity groups and other um, churches and ministries. But I really appreciate that because I think even coming into when me and Matt were engaged, um, I'm appreciative that I was able to have conversations with people about like sexuality and God and how they are intertwined and how God did make it and how it's important. Um, but I think too, one of the things I was reflecting on from the different times that I was like in purity group, like I think it's great. I think it's a really great tool for healing. Um, and I think it's a really great tool for building community and building vulnerability with people and being able to have those conversations. But in thinking about what is purity and what is what should we be striving for, um, I think about the times that people mess up in their purity. And the go-to scripture is always in Psalm 51. And it's like, oh, like repentance is having like a broken and contrite heart. And so what does that look like? What does that drive you to? But I think oftentimes when we're striving to be good versus striving to be pure, we're striving towards action. And so before I was thinking about like, logically, I'm like, oh, I need to have a broken and contrite heart. So that means that I'm going to confess like right away. Like I'm the, like, the faster that I confess, the better I am, the more pure I am. Um, how can I, and even what Rachel pointed out about purity being redemptive versus being fragile. It's like, okay, how can I regain my step in with being good with God and being pure versus being impure. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting point. Yeah, there's a, um, my name's Kenzie, by the way, I was on the last one. So um, anywho, there's a passage in what, 2 Timothy 2, 22, 
um, which says flee the evil desires of youth. And I think when, at least when it comes to purity, we end up stopping there, um, stopping at the fleeing part. Um, and we just hear a lot about what we're supposed to run away from. Uh, and you get a very vivid image of the type of life you want to run away from, but you're never really told what to pursue. And I think it's, it provides a very myopic lens of purity, honestly, um, that I think makes it very unattractive to a lot of people, myself included, like the type of preaching on purity that we do within our church, because it's all about, okay, don't do this, don't do this, stay away from this, don't want, don't, you know, it can just be overwhelming, like all these don'ts. Um, but I think my purity definitely was transformed when I realized not only should I be running away from something, but I should be pursuing something that's actually really beautiful. And the rest of that passage does not only flee the evil desires of youth, but it says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Um, and those are the things that I wish we, we, when it comes to purity, we talked about more. Like, what, is, what does purity actually look like? And don't tell me it means running away from all these things. Like, what does pursuing purity look like? Um, you know, and, and I think Matt made a great point when he's talking about how you know, just being, sex being such a taboo topic within the church or something to run away from at all costs, like that does damage to people. I know so many people who that's like, that is culminated in like pornography addiction for them or sex addiction because there's so much repressed sexual attention with no healthy outlet to go anywhere with it or to discuss it with anyone because that's so taboo. And sex in general is something you should be fleeing in the first place that, you know, you're not giving any sort of direction to which to head in um and i think that can be really damaging on people as they grow up yeah i think it's interesting because it's like no matter what obviously everyone here agrees purity amazing we need to strive for purity that's like a given if you didn't hear all that already it's like we're saying it now <laughs> like um and I think you know every disciple agrees on that too that we need to strive for purity we need to be holy and pleasing to God that's a given um but I think it's interesting because the the controversy and the kind of I don't know disagreements are like with how do we go about that how do we go about when somebody isn't pure how do we go about like all these things and I think that's where people kind of rub <laughs> um, different ideals and things like that. Um, I think something that I talk to a lot of people about um, is the idea of where where do leaders kind of play into this? Um, so I talked to a lot of different people and um, I was talking to Gordon Ferguson, who's awesome. Um, and he was like, yeah, I agree, of course. Like biblically, like we leaders can't just tell you rules they can't just tell you what to do they can't like obviously we all agree with that we should all be pure but leaders can't say here's exactly what that looks like and here's exactly how you do that like leaders can't do that and I was like yes I agree and I think but I think the problem is everyone on paper like every leader included on paper says we can't tell you what to do we can't give you rules but I think the way that it's carried out <laughs> looks kind of different sometimes um, because on paper, you're telling me that you you won't, like, you can't tell me what to do. But then the minute I go get other advice and say, hey, thanks for your advice. I'm gonna do something else, thanks. Then you start calling me prideful. Then you take me out of leadership. Then you start telling me to go pray more and like that, I don't know. And, and then it's like, wait, so so you, so you 
so I can't have my own convictions. Like, I'm confused now. <laughs> like, aren't I a disciple too? Aren't I just as much a disciple as anyone else? And like, I really had to study that out because I was like, I'm confused. Like, do, do people that are above me have like this direct line of God that I don't know about <laughs> um, to where they can tell me exactly what purity looks like? Um, and what a dating relationship looks like and what, uh, you know, like I, I, it, it, and I had to really wrestle that out and that's something I'm still studying out. I don't have all the answers. Um, but yeah, the whole permission culture thing is just so interesting. Cause I feel like at the root of it, there's this, there's this difference of opinion in terms of like, I don't know, like just, I, I guess I'm confused about like, do we believe the leaders, like, like, know more about how to be pure than anybody else? Like, yeah, of course, they have probably more wisdom and more perspective, probably more years that they've been with God, all that stuff. I think that's amazing. And I think I, I mean, I call up, I call up leaders and get advice all the time. And I highly, highly recommend getting like, for every word that I'm saying here right now, I've gotten like 10 times more words of listening to advice, you know, like, and I highly recommend that because it's just, you know, wisdom is amazing. But I don't know, I've just seen so many, so many, like this happens, like, I can even give you like four or five examples in the past month of things that have happened to me and my friends where it's like, I don't know, I just have a different personality, or I have a different circumstance, or I just don't agree with your boundaries, or I don't, and, and then and then the, like, the leadership saying, oh, no, I, like, I'm not telling you what to do. But then you're saying, like, okay, well, I disagree, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm a disciple, so, but then it's, like, that's, that's not okay, <laughs> I don't know, it's, like, well, yeah, I didn't tell you what to do, but, like, don't do that, <laughs> like, um, like, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but if you do that, you're not, you're bringing down the church and you're being prideful. And I don't know, I know I'm exaggerating and being like, you know, but I don't know. I just tell me if I'm wrong, but I see that a lot. <laughs> um, and I think this is like at the core of a lot of things that we are feeling and talking about, I guess. Yes, very much at the core. Yeah, you pretty much said everything that I was thinking. And I honestly, I think it's even indicative of how you said these things, Isabel, in saying like, oh, but like, let me make sure that you know that I'm not condemning like this thing and that I'm also like getting advice. Like we have to do, even in our conversations about how we can be better, we have to talk about all the ways that we're still go playing by the rule book, you know? Uh, Audre Lorde, a poet writer has this quote the master's tools will not disassemble the master's house and i think we need to we ha we have this real problem where we talk about the holy spirit being entrusted to us but we're not giving that same trust to our fellow disciples and we are playing this game of uh, needing permission needing validity needing to be 1000% correct, uh, indisputable, and publicly accepted by all before you can have your own personal opinion and belief. And it's true, like, for me to even understand that this was happening, like, this wasn't something that I was naturally told by 
a church that I can have my own opinions, that I can have my own ideas. And it came through the the vein of, oh, you know, Gion's the rebellious one. Gion's the one who hates authority. Gion's the one who uh, wants to start a riot or whatnot. And all of those things are true, but <laughs> I still love Jesus. And honestly, I see how in the scriptures where disciples are literally right next to Jesus as he's performing miracles and defying social norms, and they're still not believing Jesus. They're like, wow, you really talked to that person? Like, you really went to that tax collector's house? You talked to a woman? Where? At a well? Jesus, what are you thinking? And so I had to kind of learn to, one, expect that this kind of stuff would happen and still be able to formulate my own faith around it. Because I think it honestly sucks that even me forming my own faith on these things is only possible if I'm doing it in the the light or permission of other people around me. Because we in these conversations, we never really talk about people who aren't in the visibility of the church, people who have left the church because of these kind of things. Like we never talk about uh, people who decide that they need to leave in order to save their faith instead of feeling like they need to, and we make it about all these other things. And honestly, nine times out of 10, we make it in, oh, they were just impure or they were bound to struggle anyway. And then that's the end of the conversation and they're in no man's land. And I'm like, I don't know. I've had the honor of having 90% of my friendships with people who have left the church, like still rock solid today. And it's just so difficult having working in this in-between of wanting to critique a thing while still praising so much about it and seeing so much validity in it. And I think I'm just wondering how we can get this sort of bad taste about church culture and out of people's mouths, because this is something that is indicative of our conversations in it, in that we all know people that wouldn't even know a conversation like this is happening. And they're like, dang, I relate to that 1000%. It's like, wow, I wish I was there. I wish you could send this to me or show this to me, or I wish I had this years ago when I was struggling with this. And I'm like, I'm excited as much as I'm scared because, you know, it's also good to get good news, you know, like thank you, Nadine, uh, and thank you, Isabel, and thank you for everybody having conversations with leaders around. And I think I just want us to all be like soberly reminded that though there are casualties in this fight. You know, like people that will never look at Christ the same because of how Christians have acted. And I'm like, that is way worse than anything impure that we could do. So, yeah. And to piggyback uh, off of Gian, what you were sharing in terms of like, you know, I think. First, I'm just curious, am I the only person in campus ministry at the moment? I think I am. No? No, I'm, I'm 
Okay, cool. Because I was wondering who else like shares a perspective. So like, you know, things change slowly, you know, and sometimes, I mean, people who are in campus with people who are currently out of campus are now campus ministers. And we, there's a changing of the guard every few years and some, some things get phased out. But like for, for anybody's watching, I wanted to take like a second and, you know, I think there's also, we can, we, there's a lot of stories about things that have happened or regularly happened that maybe people aren't really aware of in terms of conduct of, of what is the protocol for, for sexual sin. Uh, and maybe people just really don't know. So think like things that happen at retreats, um, church, um, discipline, things that go down. So I kind of just wanted to take a moment and share some things that have either happened to me or I've seen. So, um, and, and doing that kind of piggybacking up off of what Gian said in terms of like, look, like it's great to have good news and things are happening. But I think one of the reasons why change is so difficult is because people don't see that it's necessary when it is. Um, and all of a sudden when a bomb drops, you're like, whoops, <laughs> we're a couple of years too late. So in case any of these things are news to you, um, here's just a couple things that I've seen that that happen and have happened in the ICOC. So there are, there are scriptures about how to deal with sexual immorality in the church. And to just straight up define that, sexual immorality is um, having sex with somebody. It's not um, impurity in terms of pornography or masturbation. It is you have sex with somebody. It can be somebody in the church or outside of the church. Church conduct, in case you don't know this, in case you're not in our fellowship of churches and you're like... <laughs> Where did I stumble into on this video? <laughs> How did this get recommended to me? Um, church conduct, according to some certain scriptures, is that if somebody is sexually immoral, they get warned um, probably by their discipler, which is what we refer to as like somebody's mentor. Um, and if it happens again, they are brought before church leadership, right? And at a certain point, if it happens a second or a third time, they are brought in front of the entire church congregation at a meeting of the body. So a Sunday service or a midweek service. And if it has happened, they've had sex with somebody one too many times, they are formally in front of the whole church, basically said, if this happens again, you're out. Um, and that's what has happened. And that's kind of the protocol. Um, and I've seen that happen to friends of mine in the Philadelphia church where because you've had sex with somebody too many times, you're getting warned in front of this entire room of people. And it basically you're told, if you do this again, you're being removed from the church. Um, and in one case, it happened again, and they were removed from the church, and they've never come back. Um, that's one thing that has happened. Matt shared the story about the every guy in this room who's uh, given in or not given in the last six months stand up. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. And kind of this race. Something else that happens in campus ministry. Um, I can only speak for men because I, I haven't really talked to many women about their purity streaks. Um, but a purity streak is basically um, a length of time that it's been since you have either watched pornography or masturbated. And among brothers, we discuss how long it's been. We discuss the streaks. We hear about this guy who's, oh, never in his entire life, or this guy, it's been six years, or oh, this campus minister stopped when he was, when he got to this point. And again, maybe I'm not pointing out if these things are wrong. You can decide for yourselves. These are just things that happen. And I know that it's happened. It's like, oh, this dude has been three years. Oh man, it was five months for me, but then I gave in and, 
And we're encouraged to, if you reach an anniversary, whether weeks or months or years, to post in a group chat about the fact that you've reached a certain milestone. Again, you can decide what, what about that you like and don't like. Um, but, you know, I think, and I could keep going. I won't because I want other people to share other things as well and maybe be like, Alan, you went too far. But, you know, I think sex really sells. It sells a lot. And one of the other things that I notice a lot is in pretty much every conversion story I've ever heard, there's a lengthy segment about their past with sexual sin. Um, and I, for, you know, because we've all, I think we've all struggled with sexual sin. I think that's a, it's a fair thing to say. So it's not because they're lying and making up a story, but I think it's interesting how we, we love to say in this fellowship of churches, and I think in Christendom in, in general, that we see all sins on an equal plane to each other. They are all of equal severity. If you watch porn, it's the same thing as if you murdered your neighbor in cold blood down the street. And we hold to that. We're like, we believe this. But um, when I hear people's conversion stories, who I know very well, you know, not just the random girl from the campus ministry two states away, who I don't even know her, I don't know what her past, but when I hear people who like either I disciple or who I'm just best friends with, and I hear their conversion story, and they share the things that really wound them, I'm like, that's not, it. you're not sharing the worst thing, you're sharing the things that get good ratings. Oh, I, I watch porn all the time. I was in this relationship, but I know you, and I know that that's not what it was. It was a relationship with your dad. That's what hurt you the most. Or it was that time that you blah, blah, blah. It wasn't, yes, porn was damaging in its place, but we strangely gravitate towards the things that we've seen other people do because equal plane, right? Porn, murder, it gets ratings. It's, it's the hot thing. Um, and so... If you're watching this and you didn't know why people are so hurt about purity, it's because these things are happening. And we're perpetuated into the sense of, oh man, dude, you just shared about your addiction to pornography. You're super strong. And it's because it's true, because it's so hard to do that. But it's a bit easier whenever you see, there, there's a path beaten before you of you see it every single time somebody gives a testimony of a nice, long um, stanza about their past with sexual sin. When... It really doesn't deserve it as much as the things that I know have really hurt that person. Um, so, you know, I kind of really got going there, but I know Kevin's going to share something next. So please take it away. Okay. There oh, you that go. Works. Yeah, that works. You? Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. What? That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, yeah. Sort of touching off of that, um, but then also off of like both what Kenzie and Matt were talking about, how it, it has been stereotypically a taboo topic, right? We haven't talked about it. I mean, the amount of guys like after like we started a purity group that would come to me and be like, oh, I'm struggling with purity. And, and it's like, they're just checking a box. And I'm like, well, what's that even mean? And I think John made a really good point. Purity is more than just X or Y. You know what I mean? It's like the amount of people that come in and are like, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's like, well, what's that mean? Like, are you having sex with someone? Are you going to strip clubs? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And they're like, what? And they're like, so like shocked by it. But I've like talked with so many people and I've had the conversation so many times that it's not like anything new for me to talk about. 
right? And to be open about. And I think there's so many people that have have like a decent like level of shame sort of tied up into like this sort of topic that it's very difficult to talk about because they haven't talked about it. Like honestly about it, you know, like the amount of guys where it's like the only thing that they're like, yeah, I, I got into some pornography and masturbation and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so what? Like, I mean, yes, that's bad. Like, I don't want you to do that, but that's a symptom. That's not the problem. Well, like what, what is happening in your relationship with God where you don't find intimacy enough and you're, you're lacking something that is like causing you to go to these things to fill the void, right? It's like, it's your way of numbing out. I don't care. Like if a guy's drinking a beer, you know, it's okay. That's accepted. But when a guy's calling you and you got to pick up a brother from the bar because he's drunk and he's getting kicked out of a bar, then that's something like, you know what I mean? But it's like when someone's gone down the rabbit hole and is like addicted to porn, right? It's like, we're, we're not having the conversation of why, like, and we're not teaching the younger kids to have the conversation of why, right? We're giving them the do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. This is, this is the right path. This is like what God wants. You know what I mean? But we're not like giving them the like independence to think about it. And like that critical, like sense of being like, well, why? Like asking them the question. Right. And so, so that they can build their own conviction on, like, I mean, there's, there's people in this group, although I think we have a good idea of what we think is right and wrong. There's people in this group on these screens that their conviction on one thing or another thing is different than everyone. Like we're not all aligned, but that's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, but, but we're willing to have the conversation. Right. And I love everyone, even if they say something and I'm like, that rubs me a little bit wrong. And I need to search myself to be like, why, why does that bother me that, that they think that that is okay. Right. And, and even if I, I never get that sort of, that sort of permanent answer, like I can ask the question to myself, well, this is my conviction and I can go to the scriptures and be like, this is why I think it is. And I'm willing to have the conversation. And I think there's so many people that we have been conditioned to like confess our sins. But I think it's it's sort of more, it has been in the past. And some people maybe still are. It's sort of like, well, I confessed. You know, it's like, I, I want you to dig a little deeper and find out like the problem, you know, the problem. And when did it like, and we are not, you know, psychologists, like by our trades, right? Um, and so we know, like, there are professionals out there that like most of the time when people come to our peer group, we're like, we are a resource. We are not the resource, right? We're not going to fix all of your problems, right? I'll listen to all your problems, but I'm not going to fix them all. First of all, it goes to you. Kenji, you want to add something? I see you. Go for it. Oh, sorry, I wasn't even for you. Anywho, no, but I. Oh, was um, Oh, sorry, I'm trying to. It's all good. No, 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 don't worry. I mean, you cued me in. I'm not mad at it. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I really love what you're saying because, um, in general, I think 
in our church, especially with purity, we tend to do like a lot of behavioral modification rather than actual getting like actually getting to heart change. Um, and if we're being honest, human beings could do behavioral modification. I don't think that really takes the spirit's work, honestly, because everyone modifies their behavior, you know, with God or without God in their lives, honestly. Um, but I think what we really need is, is heart change. Um, and when we act like the mission of discipleship or the central component of the gospel is changing your behavior, I think you're making the gospel of theology like every other theology that's out there where you simply just change your actions so you can get to a better place when you die whereas i think the core component of the gospel is like okay i was you know i'm so wicked that i that someone has to die for me but i'm so loved that they did so willingly and then i allow that and i allow that spirit that's living inside me to change my heart which then changes my actions but i think in our church and i'm sure in a lot of churches we tend to get those mixed up and we get them backwards and we start with the behavior and then we get to the heart, but it leads to a lot of people who are simply just repeating their traumas in different disguises because they haven't dealt with their heart. They've simply modified their behavior. Yeah, I'll speak um, more on, uh, I think just permission culture and uh, uh, permission culture and just, uh, I think just, be quite real our our obsession with purity our obsession with sex um it is not uh foreign to other cultures to other time periods um it's not foreign to the bible our obsession with sex because in most of the churches a lot of the letters what we're going to do with sex um and especially i think um there there tends to be like a two competing rhetorics you can either be obsessed with it um in an indulgent way um or you can be obsessed with it in a repressive way um and i think uh i'm like low-key quoting more of my sex god book because it's amazing if you want a book to read and you like books read sex god by rob bell that's my plug um but there's this, there are those competing rhetorics, and I think um, you see that very clearly in that passage, in a passage where I also see a lot of uh, maybe leeway of, is this permission culture, or what is this kind of thing? Um, in uh, First Corinthians, uh, when they're talking about food, sacrifice to idols, um, and that's a very great, it's a great area. It's a thing that people have feelings about for different reasons, and People had lack of feelings for other different reasons and um, all these different things. And I think uh, the closest example I can see of, you know, it's like uh, everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So we get that rhetoric a lot in our church. Um, but honestly, like we use it to disguise um our repressive culture, at least what I've seen in my experience. Um, and I, well, it's, it's permissible, but it's not beneficial. So you want to do it beneficial, right? And I told you what was beneficial. Um, I get to decide what's beneficial because of this thing or because of that thing. Um, and I think, uh, yeah. And, and honestly, like there, there are tons of groups of people in the Bible that Paul addresses, like, and that, um, even like Peter addresses like that 
uh, do the very same things that we that we do, um, and it doesn't do anything to to curb their sexual desire. It doesn't do anything to get rid of the existing desire. Uh, I think sec- I think Colossians two like towards the end says that. Um, but I think there's just like there's this conclusion of like, well, this thing is very powerful. I think it's just our reactions to power and how can we control this? Um, and sex is powerful. Like food is powerful. Desires are powerful things. Um, and we want to control them. And so we either want to control them by indulging in them and just like free reign, let's go for it. Like this is like, I am excused because this is like who I am. Um, or there's a repressive like way um, of going about it. But Rob Bell, he mentions this there's like there's that in between um the in between that actually like when you look at how god designed humans like that's what we were meant for we were meant for an in between we were meant for the the tension um which is so hard for western churches to understand um and so i just i can only speak to the icoc because that's the only church i've been in um i grew up in the church my parents are um disciples my parents are faithful to god and they just happen to pick this church honestly and um and they love the community and they love people and they serve and they give but um at the end of the day i know like it's i think it's been about god and um yeah but then when i look at i look at my own life and i look at purity and i look at um how much of my life uh had been one or the other um, but never in the middle. And I just feel like only very recently have I been in the middle and only very recently have I actually felt like myself. Um, only very recently have I felt more loved by God, um, if that can make sense, uh, by having tension. Um, and I think it's, um, it's hard because we want to, we want to avoid it when things get complicated. We want to avoid those topics when things get murky, um, when there's something that could cause risk, that could cause disagreement. We just like, no, 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 don't do that. Um, but I think what's cool about this conversation, what's cool about conversations I've had with other people, um, and what's, what's awesome about, I think, just these initiatives is that um, I think people are finally starting to realize like we can live in attention and we can be okay with each other because we have something called grace and love. Um, because I think that's the biggest thing that I get from that first Corinthians is yeah, don't eat. Like if you eat this food sacrificed like to idols and stuff and it doesn't bother your conscience, like fine, but just consider that it could bother someone else's. I might have a different opinion on something. I might have a different boundary on my faith and someone else, but I will respect your faith boundary. I will respect and I will love and I will never, um, never consider you a less genuine believer, a less genuine follower of Jesus because you believe something different from me. Um, I love you and I just, and I can disagree with you. Um, I ask that you love me, even if you disagree with me. Um, and I, I think that's starting to happen a lot more. Um, and I, my hope is that it keeps happening within our churches. 
Um, oh man, so much has happened since I signed up to to speak. <laughs> it's been wonderful though. I'm so encouraged. So um, a while ago, Isabel was talking about um, how uh, like leadership wants you to be an individual, but also doesn't want you to be an individual. And, and they say they have faith in you, but then you can't go back on that. And I do think a lot of that is and even the purity issue in general is because we're not seeing people as people. And I know this from experience, like when I was a teen living in my dad's house, if I got in trouble with the church, he got in trouble with the church. And so his leadership was called into question. So then it was like, well, I can't confess this thing because then my dad's going to get in trouble. And then same thing when I was in campus, if I would get in trouble, my Bible talk leader would get in trouble. And so then it becomes this thing, like we have to keep everyone under us in line. I mean, not under, but you know what I mean? Keep everyone under us in line because then I'm going to get in trouble when I go to my discipling partner. And so it just kind of like goes up the chain instead of like, oh, let me really dig into why is she feeling this way or what is happening in your heart right now? And I don't remember anyone ever, I think someone mentioned in the chat, like women talking about purity, that never happened. And I could have used it actually. It would have been so encouraging. I felt like the weirdest kid because all the women were just talking about like not making brothers their idols or not talking to every guy or trying to get married, like be okay with being single. And I was sitting over here, like having an issue with porn and being afraid to talk about it because I'm a girl and that's what the guys struggle with. And I don't struggle, like I'm not supposed to struggle with that. And so, and I mean, I was introduced to it as a young age, but then when I became a disciple, it was like, well, I can't confess it, that it comes up again because that's not something anyone's talking about. Like I would have been really grateful for the purity group when I was in teens and campus. But I last time they had the purity um, panel, the purity culture panel, they talked about like all the dating rules, the ones that aren't spoken, but are there. And I, those were the same rules that were there. Like when Alan was saying, like, maybe you don't know what's happening now. I have a feeling that it's probably the same thing that was happening when I was 14 and when I was 20 and in multiple churches that I've been in. I think so often we just don't see people as an individual person that's trying to love God. We see them as, you know, we maybe we see the sister as her body parts or the brother as his body parts, but maybe we also just see them as a problem, like someone who is making it harder for me to not be in trouble or to move up the chain or to get whatever it is I need to get done. And then individuals get lost in the shuffle. So. Thank you for sharing that, Shamise, and everyone. This has all been really great. I want to touch really quick on what you said. I think it's great that we're having these conversations because it wasn't too long ago that I felt like um, in our church that we were in back on the East Coast, like we, I needed to hear lessons about purity, but, and I needed a purity group, but it was like, oh, for the men, like the men need this, the women have codependency groups, and that's what they have. Um, and I think, Yes, like, as like Rachel kind of spoke to, like, all of our societies have always kind of been obsessed with sex. Um, and I think one thing that I really just want to put out there is like, for me, like, especially like before me and Matt got married, like I, I think for me being a woman who struggled with sexual sin and even str like struggled with like 
my like uh like sexual like identity like the all those things intertwine and that shame intertwines and it, you can just feel really invalid in general before god and um if we can't talk about those things it just makes you feel even more so just like am i okay to be here like will i always be defective because this is what i struggle with and because we put more weight onto it um and then the thing I really wanted to jump in here to talk about was just like within like our lifetime, I would love to see change in, in our fellowship of churches and in just church culture in general is taking away, is taking marriage off of the pedestal that we put it on. Um, because I think something I was talking about with um, Gian and Rachel actually too, is just the way that we put, even like this perspective of campus, we put the microscope on singles singles on people who happen to be single on their purity and their sexual conduct um and we just obsess over it and we have all of these rules set up and I'm married now so I feel like I can, I can say this but we don't do that so much with married couples or the marrieds ministry you know like I think there are people who are single that live under a microscope and just feel the powers that be are on them and if they mess up like you're done um, and I think I'm really grateful for the purity groups that I've been in. I'm really grateful for the purity conference that I've been to because it kind of just leveled out the playing field. Cause I got to the purity conference and I thought that it was going to be a whole bunch of other single people that were struggling with their purity, but there were so many married couples that were there. And I'm grateful for the married couples that I've been able to be friends with that have been honest about what marriage looks like, who have been honest about what those struggles actually look like because it doesn't just stop when you get married. And I knew that like logically, but it's not something that we talk about. And I think too, even going back to these dating rules and dating culture within our churches, like I had so much anxiety going to, and he knows this, I had so much anxiety every dating devotional that we would have because it would basically be the couple that was leading it, laying out all of the boundaries that they had when they were dating. It would always be a married couple and it'd always be them laying out all of their boundaries. And I'd just have a list going of like, are we following this? Are we following this? Like, am I, are we good? Like, are we spiritual enough kind of thing? Um, and none of those were memorable, except for there was one devotional that really stuck out to me that really helped me. Um, it was the Abbots back in when they were in Richmond, um, but they shared from the scripture in first Corinthians that talked about how if you're single, you can be fully devoted to God. But if you're married, your devotion is split and you can't be focused on God. And so, and it just brought it back to the heart of like, okay, while you're single, what can you do for God? When you're married, it's going to be harder. Like, and what, like, what do those, what would those challenges look like? What can you do right now? And how will that translate if you do get married in the future? Um, and it just made relationships and it made purity about God and about our devotion to him versus our conduct and what we are or what we aren't doing. Um, and I think this conversation has been really great because it's been a lot of conversation around that, around what we can pursue versus what we can flee from. Um, and I think too, yeah, shame is a big thing that we just need to be able to eradicate. And I don't know, it's a, it's a loving playing, like level the playing field. Yeah, I was just gonna share that I just think that a huge thing that I noticed even growing up and even now being married um, and dealing with so many things as far as purity culture goes and all these do's and don'ts. Um, a huge thing that I always wanted for our, even our church uh, and our fellowship churches is for us to be more 
honestly just forgiving of people. Uh, and honestly, it's even odd to say forgiving because it's not even like I've been hurt in any way by anything that people have done, but more so just that we can like really have like grace in these areas. Uh, something I really appreciate about, I didn't actually do uh, Kevin and Caitlin's security group, but I, um, I do know from everyone I've talked to in Portland who has done it, that a great thing that, about it is that how the lack of judgment, the uh, vulnerability with everyone, the amount of love that people receive when they talk about these different things that they're going through, no matter how extreme they are. Um, and I think that something that I always found beautiful about the Bible, even growing up, what really confused me is that uh, even the church in Corinth is like, some of these things were just outlandish, honestly. Uh, but even just Paul's like attitude towards them was like, hey, like we don't, it's like not tolerant of the sin, but it's not condemning of, of these people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's very much so like a love of a hope for people to really like be free from these different things. Um, and I, I think that's like a big thing that I grew up not having is this hope and this, and this actual like sight that we can be like free of our sexual impurities and different things like that. And also be accepted if we're not freed of those things. Cause at the end of the day, like we, we treat every other sin as if it's like forgivable, except for this one. Uh, you know what I mean? Like every other sin is, is something that you can be battling with for the rest of your life. But this one, do not battle with this for the rest of your life. Get free of it like immediately or else, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's the attitude that I grew up with. And that's what I had my life so much that it it just did so much wrong and created cycles of shame and pain and um to the point where you just don't even want to deal with it anymore and i've seen so many brothers give up um and just eventually fall away or eventually just leave god because they're like this this is too high of a calling um this is something that like i don't i know no one's giving me the tools to deal with and also no one's actually having the grace and the love on me in these areas of my life. Um, so I, I, that's something I just really want to see is like, I feel like we need to not punish this sin or really help people to actually become free of them. Normalize people dealing with it because every human being has sexual desires, um, not make it a taboo. And I just think that all those things, like I, I feel really passionate about this because I grew up with so many brothers nowadays who I'm seeing the effects of that culture in their lives to this day and where i'm 26 years old you know what i mean um so I, that that's basically it yeah this is all like so good i feel like i'm learning so much even just listening to you guys um just to touch on a few things um so i don't know i i just think it's so interesting like what you uh, said selena about the whole marriage pedestal thing because I've heard like the amount of times I've heard like, oh, but we we're married, so we can tell you X Y Z, or I'm married, so I can tell you this and this and this. And I'm like, anyone can get married. Any like I can grab a random dude off the street and go to a courthouse. Like you know, like it, I I don't care. Like I that yes. Do, does that mean that you know more about marriage than me? Probably because I I'm engaged. I haven't been married yet. Um, but like. I don't know. It just, it doesn't mean that I look up to your marriage. It doesn't mean that your marriage is desirable to me. And, um, as someone who is engaged and I'm, I'm so looking forward to marriage, but I also am, I've had my little freak outs because I, on it, like, to be honest, it's 
I'm trying to like figure out how to say this. Um, it's sometimes hard for me to see marriages that I want to copy in the church that are both pure and desirable. And like, and that may be just because I don't know the full story. Like I could be wrong. Like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I might be saying something wrong here, but I just, it, it it's affected me. It's honestly really hard for me to see myself in a, in a fun, romantic, like, ama- like, cause I, I mean, I love my relationship. I'm so excited to get married, but I just feel like sometimes it's like, if, if we have all these rules, we bypass romance, we bypass friendship and, and for the sake of, we have to be pure, we have to be pure. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. We're pure, but we're like, can we have be pure, but also like have relationships that, that are desirable and that are fun and like, like all these things. And like, I mean, my, my friends in the world, they know that, that my fiance and I are pure. They know that we're like, they know all of it. Um, and they've asked me questions like, don't you want to know, like, you know, if like how, like, you know, your physical relationship is before you get married, all the, all those questions and stuff. And I explained to them, I'm like, no, like I explained to them why we do what we do and they understand that they know that we're pure. And then and they look up to our relationship so much. Like I've had friends in the world call me crying because they're like, my boyfriend just did something like nice to me. And I, I knew you would understand because like you guys have such a fairy tale of a relationship and blah, 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 like all these people. Are, and I'm like, see, like there's a way to be pure and also to be like a light of not just like, oh yeah, they, yeah, they're pure, but like, I don't know if I want to copy them. Um, So I wanted to touch on that, but also I thought it was interesting. um, And like we were talking about it in the chat about the fact that like there's this interesting gender stereotype when it comes to purity of like, oh, the guys. And I remember Steve said this last time of the, the, they're the lust buckets and like the women are the temptresses. And like, it's so dangerous to have that cookie cutter thing. Like, I mean, I was joking in the chat, like the amount of times where it's like, okay, split guys and girls lessons. The guys, what do they always talk about? Purity. The girls, what do they always talk about? You're beautiful and made in God's image. Or let's do a modesty guidelines lesson, you know? And it's like, okay, are those amazing things to talk about? Absolutely. But like, why don't we talk about like guys and how they're made in God's image and girls about purity? Because we need to talk about those things too. And um like without sharing too much because like my dad is probably going to listen to this bad you know but like there's things where I've like I've I've confessed some things and I've been like and the amount of times when the person I've confessed to is like what me too and no one talks about this is ridiculous like crazy I remember being a teen and confessing something and like crying because I thought I had like invented a sin and because like, and no one had talked about it I was like this young teen and then and then going into this group and then everybody being like me too and I was like what like but we're women <laughs> and we don't talk about these things we don't do these things and um my discipler um one of my disciples she said like okay Isabel what I want you to do is I want every time that you you can, like sin or like are tempted about something you call a sister but call a different sister every time because more sisters need to talk about this and that was so good because every single time I talked to a different sister yeah it was embarrassing and made me not sin as much uh, but the amount of times that I talked to a different sister and she was like oh my gosh me too we never talk about this I'm like wow like it's 
it's so dangerous to say like hey like the men need to worry about their because even statistically if you look at statistics of porn of all these things like the the rates of men and women are not that different like like yeah do I believe there are differences yeah but like not that much you know um I think we just need to trust people to just I don't know in the end and I know that I'm going long but I I just feel like in the end one of the big things is like trusting people to be adults and to be disciples and it's like okay if we baptize this 14 year old uh kingdom kid and we're saying they're an adult and they can make this adult decision enough to be a disciple but we're like you know I have to walk you through every single thing and you're not right if you have your own conviction or thoughts then like you need to sit down because you're prideful then I'm like then why are we baptizing them like I'm confused like maybe I'm missing something here maybe I'm wrong Steve or Lisa stop me if I'm being crazy but like I'm confused like why are we not it's like oh you're not allowed to have your own convictions or opinions or responsibility about your own purity until you're 25 and married or a bible talk leader like I'm just you know I I'm just I don't know I just feel like we have to yes like like trust and and I get that as leaders it's scary because you have your flock and you don't want them to be hurt but like we're all disciples. And if we've baptized these people and believe that they are able to make this decision, then, then that like, then they should be able to do that. And, and yeah, they'll deal with the consequences. They do you think God can't, you know, make them deal with their consequences of their sin. Like they're, they're going to deal with the consequences because they're a disciple. They're an adult. If you, you know, if they're, if you call them a Christian, then they're able to have their own relationship with God, you know? So sorry, that was really long, but. <laughs> no, don't apologize. We want more, <laughs> but um, I mean, I want more from everybody. I mean, like the best part of this was just me being a fly on this wall. But um, yeah, something I'd like to share at this point for anybody who's watching, you've been amazing. This has been a haul. Um, and like, you might be thinking like, okay, what do I change? Especially if you're a leader. And I kind of want to acknowledge like, man, <laughs> I'm glad that I don't lead a church <laughs> like because I mean you I feel like you really do have the hardest job because you will catch the flack for whatever goes wrong <laughs> in many instances and sometimes it's deserved and hey you'll probably know it, but sometimes it's not and <laughs> some people won't care that it's not your fault but like you know along with like the fact that sure there's leaders responsibilities and I don't even want to know what that's like. That sounds awful. Um, but thank you for signing up for that. Like for the people in the congregations, like we have responsibilities too. Um, obviously this panel is supposed to be, um, it's supposed to end up being like the least important part of the whole movement because it's supposed to be like the pin drop that like starts a tsunami wave. So hopefully you have more discussions if you're watching this with your friends um, and like Isabel said, calling different people, diversifying your group of homies, you know, um, your confessing buddies, your, uh, what is it, um, accountability buddy, you know. But I think like the first thing that I would like to propose, if you're watching this, what do we do? I think we need to rethink. Uh, we all shared a bunch of stories, horror stories, truly horror stories, and probably not even the worst. I mean, I'm sure we can all really tell that that like that story, we could say that story, we could go there, but we didn't tonight. But like, you've heard some things that maybe you're like, okay, there's a scripture that kind of supports that, or you could kind of make a, you know, this, if you were a lawyer, and you were in a court case, you could kind of use that scripture to support this, it's tough. 
to make it go the other way. But like we still heard some things about church conduct that are shocking and like so easily lead to hurt, you know, so we need to rethink like you need to rethink, you know, sometimes we say we need to do this, but like you, whoever's watching this, like you need to rethink this. Um, is it really something that you want to perpetuate? Um, you know, for leaders, <laughs> I guess I'm giving advice to leaders, uh, a thought for a leader. Um, I was in a, I was on a call with a bunch of campus leaders in the ACR, uh, which is this region of the ICOC over here in the East coast of the U S and, uh, I think it was the campus minister of Toronto. I forget his name, but he, um, made this amazing quote, and I think he was quoting somebody else, um, but he said, leaders that lead with heart always get people to follow them as opposed to leading with a title. Um, never lead with a title, lead with a heart. Um, you know, and sometimes like whenever, you know, whenever we get approached by a leader on an issue and we don't feel that there's a heart to heart connection with that leader, we reject it <laughs> because that's not how we work. We're relational. And if you want to come to me about something tough, then there better be an established connection. Um, you know, so if, if, if we try to approach you, we hope for the same connection. Um, so, you know, it, it's the golden rule, um, treat others how you want to be treated, but then the platinum rule, treat others how they want to be treated. You know, assume that somebody wants a connection before you approach somebody about it. Um, and if you don't like being approached about something and being called out without a connection, then, um, it's just something to add to your tool bag for understanding what it's like if you did that to somebody else. But again, if you're a leader, God bless you. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, I think one other thing that people have talked about is generalization. Um, I've been told that I think like a woman and uh, that's a compliment, but I'm also like, what? <laughs> like what? Because I guess I've been told that I, I apparently... I guess I'd agree, but I, I struggle more with emotional impurity um, is what I've been told, um, or I guess that's the lingo that I understand. And I'm told like, yeah, man, you, you know, with you and this situation, you, you think more like a woman. And I'm just kind of like, <sighs> okay, um, but don't generalize. Another proposed change, don't generalize. Um, if I, Alan Tolbert, am more in my bag with my emotions than in my sexual desires, then don't tell me it's because I think like a woman because I don't really know what to do with that information. And it's also kind of like, you know, relegating how women think to non-sexual things, which we've talked about has been damaging. Um, and even just like generalizing struggles per gender. Um, people have said enough about that. That's been amazing. Um, somebody mentioned therapy, 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 as I think now the only remaining campus student on this call, because Kenzie left, if you go to college, your college offers free counseling, unless you go to a really bad school. <laughs> but if you go to a school with like thousands of people, they offer free counseling services. So if you're struggling with, with purity and your discipler hasn't helped or your church, don't keep trying just that because the definition of insanity is using the same methods, expecting a different result. If your discipler didn't fix it, then they probably won't like go to therapy and talk to somebody, yeah, they're not a disciple, and that's fine. Um, but if a disciple didn't fix it, then they won't. <laughs> so go to a therapist, it's free. Um, you know, that's for the campus students, people who don't go to college, I'm so sorry, the counseling isn't free, but still like whatever, like cancel your Netflix subscription or whatever, and for a month, go, go see a therapist, because if your lead evangelist didn't fix it, they probably won't. 
Um, trusting the process is good too, but like therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, and then finally, like if it still hasn't like, if you're not sold on the idea that it's worth fixing these things, I think like we need to remember like Satan uses the hidden things to get God's people. Like he, you know, he's too smart and we're too good people. Like we are so good people in the ICOC. Like I love this church so much. Our hearts are amazing. You know, like every, like people try so hard. I mean, we know what it took for us to get baptized. We had to go through some major stuff and like cry and like end relationships or give up careers. Like we, we know that we can do it. We're too good and we're too smart for Satan to use totally overt and, you know, obvious reasons to take us down. So he's going to use the things that are hidden that we haven't talked about that people really just kind of, you know, keep to their own groups. And that's not in the front that that's what he will use to take us down. The thing that is most covered up that is most covert is the method. Um, so don't let this be the method, you know, and we'll get on to the next thing. You know, this is a purity panel. We'll talk about racism. We'll talk about all the other issues, even just in America, but whatever is hidden, know that Satan will obviously try to use that first. So if, if nothing else, that's one reason for you to actually pursue this, if not for you, for someone else in your, um, in your circle. So I think Gian wants to share something. Yeah. You know, yeah. If we are now talking to the leaders, I guess. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, to kind of summate a lot of the things that Alan was even saying, like leaders, how invested are you in learning about your own congregation and how invested are you in learning about the communities around that congregation because i think you're going to begin to see that a lot of people uh that there's just an expansive perspective on purity and the intersection of all these different topics like there's ways that it goes into racism you know where black sisters are facing a completely different battle in our church uh you know if we're talking about purity culture we're talking about uh, how we treat our women in our church you know and the ways that we lift them up because i think we also have a huge toxic masculinity problem you know uh as because I can also say from the, the testament of, oh, I can only speak for the guys. And that is scary to me sometimes because there are a lot of really broy disciples in our church that really cheat, like treat matters of purity extremely lackadaisically. Like there's a lot of locker room talk as it would be called. And there's a, and yes, and, and I say that with these brothers at the same time taking up tenets of spirituality and tenets of uh, Christianity. But it's so ingrained in how we even discuss relationships with sisters platonically or romantically that it's very much like it's not good in a lot of ways you know it's there's a lot of sexualization and over sexualization um to the point that well one you know i feel bad for our sisters and two i feel bad 
for women in general who meet some of our brothers because their perspective of women is already jaded by how they treat like God's appointed daughters. And like imagine how they think about sisters who don't believe in God or don't aren't in the church or aren't even at that that place yet. Uh, I've had some really disgusting conversations with brothers in that regard where they're just sizing up people that they don't even know, that they don't even have any relationship to and are completely invalidating their journey and their walk. Uh, And I think that kind of ties into a sort of elitism that we really need to get away with. You know, like if we're treating if you're a leader and you're treating your church as like the end all be all for everything in your community, as opposed to treating it as a place where Jesus would really be seeking after people and trying to learn and connect with people, then you're already going to be doing the work of limiting a huge percentage of your population and just the creativity that they can have for this fallen world, like the ability to see how people are inherently pure by, because that's what God wants us to be and how people have that capacity and how people have that direction towards purity. And we put all these things in the way of it. And I feel like it honestly just comes down to how much work you're, you're willing to do for this kind of thing. Like, I, I, I hate when people essentially put the onus on talking about progressive matters in our church with these like monolithic figures. Like, oh, if you want to talk about racism, you uh, better have gone through, uh, I don't even remember the guy from Minnesota, uh, dang. See, like that's how much I've tried to erase that from my mind because I'm like, it's not to say that this person isn't uh, intelligent in the Michael Burns. Yes, Mr. Mr. Burns and Mr. Smithers. But yes, like it's not like he's not intelligent and extremely uh, and has a lot of experience in these matters. But if we're doing this work of saying like, oh, this is the source you need to go through, then we're not investigating things for ourselves we're not being Bereans in that regard we're not even looking outside of our own communities to help people adjacent to us because we're flying all our rhetoric out to Minnesota when we're not thinking about how it is involved in Philadelphia or how it's involved in Portland or how it's involved in is there a third place that people are at from this call uh LA or whatnot uh yeah and we do that with you know, uh, sexuality with Guy Hammond, you know, we do that with uh, probably this now, you know, like people are going to say like, okay, uh, Steve and Lisa Johnson have these opinions about purity and these opinions about women's roles. So like we need to direct all that energy to that instead of people taking it for themselves and saying like, hey, let me investigate. Let me learn about this let me explore this and let me hopefully find a place to explore this without feeling demonized or taken down like i'll always 
feel weird when we have this rhetoric of saving people from the world when we are mimicking a lot of things, a lot aspects of worldliness in how we generalize and demonize people. Like to the point that at its worst, we're essentially pulling people into sort of surveillance states for their faith. And that's just not how God intended it, you know? Like, I don't mean to be spicy, but if my friends who go to different churches, like, don't have inside jokes about it being a cult or not, you know? Like, there's not this sort of rhetoric that other institutions are a big brother in your life or are completely out to try to take over your life and whatnot. I'm like, that's just not something I see in Jesus. And I feel like that's why we're all here. And so I just ask, like, you know, how much work are you willing to do with this? You know, I feel like we, uh, I wounded my people, have been getting in a lot of great conversations since uh, we started in June. And you always get the sense that we had this awesome lesson called The Tale of Two Churches. And you always get the sense that there is this doctrine that we're all told to follow, but there's a lot of ways where we ignore scripture here or there just for keeping the sort of status quo on these things. And I feel like purity is at the center of these things only because we've made it that, only because we've made it the only thing we know about the Bible. Like all we know is don't have sex before marriage. When God is so much more than this and has so many different insights into this so yeah you know i'm i'm in it for the hard work i feel like everyone here is and i'm really grateful for everyone there because yeah i'm excited for 2021 you know to see how people go from this supposedly really woke year to returning to normal like i hope that we don't we can't we can't return to normal, so that's it. Amen. Well, this is all really great. Um, you know, a side note, let's not forget that this is a global issue. I realize we're, you know, all American on this call, uh, which that's a panel for another day, the US-centric culture of the ICOC, but I'll leave it for today. Um, but, you know, what's really helped me in the last year is courageous conversations that young people have had with me. Um, I can say that this has been a transformative year for me, but a lot of it has been um, these conversations that I work with youth a lot, but and I have five kids, including four adult kids. So you can believe that I've received an earful in the last year. Um, but those conversations have been life-changing. I wouldn't be here, you know, a year ago. So the thing I want to say is have those conversations. I mean, this panel is great, but please have those conversations. Go to the people who can make a difference. Go right to the top. <laughs> go to your church leader. Go to your elders. Go to the people who really can have an influence. Um, sometimes, you know, we... We talk to people, but we maybe we're talking to the wrong people. Um, go to the people who have an influence. Be be bold. Be respectful, but be bold. Uh, you know, young people have been very bold with me. They've kept me on my toes. They've challenged my thinking. 
uh, and it's really made a difference. Um, so as I said, I think I'm hearing more positive responses than I expected, to be honest. Uh, so it's been really encouraging. But I just want to urge you, be brave, be courageous, and have those conversations because you can turn someone around, someone who may be able to make a really big difference in our church culture. So I just wanted to, to say that before we end today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nadine. Um, and thank all of you. I am very, very grateful for the things that were shared tonight. And, um, and I do want you all to remember, we want that story. I think one of you shared, well, you didn't tell that story. Well, don't be afraid to tell that story, whatever it is, uh, because we need to get it all out and have a transparency and an honesty and get down to what really, really is the truth about what's happening and has happened. And then we can move on. That's how we can actually be peacemakers instead of peacekeepers is to have those hard, hard conversations. But I'm really, I, I do think that a lot of people shared so much from your hearts and I'm so grateful. And um, I want us to become people that do, that put these things into practice. So I'm grateful. I learned a lot tonight hearing you guys. I am sorry for the culture that the church that is in the church, the culture that has hurt you or hurt your friends. And a lot of those kids you talk about that have walked away, they are kingdom kids. And they are the heartbeat of so many of the homes out there, the people that need to really listen. And so I'm really, I'm grateful for what all that you were willing to share. We need to have our own convictions. You guys have shared that and I'm grateful. And the word is infantilizing. We've got to stop it. We've got to treat each other as adults, and we've got to listen, and even to extremely young people. Our teenagers came back from camp and taught us so much. We had like a debriefing in our living room, and it was so powerful. And um, I think that we need to really just hear one another. So thank you for coming, for being brave, for being bold, and for sharing. And I know that Steve's got a ton. He, he could, no, could scare, share with us. <laughs> he could share with us, but he's going to share something, and I'm grateful. Is it, is, do I get to talk? You get to talk, please. Please ah. talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, let me see here. I, I need to highlight Matt. Where is Matt? Is Matt still here? Because if I look at Matt's face, I'll know if I'm talking too long. And I already am. Okay, well, anyway, let me, let me say, first of all, accolades. I, I don't want to really give you accolades. Let me, let me tell you something I think is useful. Uh, and if I ever, if I, I'd rather sound paternal than patriarchal. I, I, I've got a lot of thoughts about patriarchal but I can't help but feeling a little paternal. And you guys are the ages or approaching the ages, my kids, you, a lot of you did grow up in the church and in a paternal way. And as a leader, I, I feel responsible for uh, a lot of this stuff. And just because, uh, just because my conscience is clear based on what we were hoping to do, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm innocent. Uh, we did have a very idealized uh, thing we were trying to do 40 years ago. We believed if we did everything right, we were going to be different from all those other preachers whose kids stopped going to church. 
and then we started having kids and some of our kids stopped going to church and 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 so i there there is so much responsibility uh i feel and uh but something useful i can tell you if you talk the way you talk tonight to anybody especially a leader in the church no one th this is stuff we need to talk about. no one should have an issue with this uh we might have to someone might have to do some deep personal soul searching but uh uh the manner in which you talk thank you you're, you're being very kind you're being you're being very we were not so kind to the church that we were trying to change 50 years ago and i'm thankful that you seem to still want to go to church with me so god bless your souls and and keep on doing what you're doing and keep on doing it the way you're doing it uh that, in my opinion and if, if you do it and something bad happens you can blame you can blame me but there's a, a scriptural concept that that i wanted to share as we as we close out tonight i got to talk to one of my mentors this last week he turned uh, I think he's 72 now. He had a birthday. I spoke to him on his birthday. He was my youth minister. He's a professor still over in Oklahoma. And I love this guy. He had more influence on me wanting uh, to preach the gospel to the world than any single person I've ever known. I've had a lot of great influences. I've had people that told me better how I ought to do it. But th this was the spark that got lit in me when I was very young, it was Terry. And uh, I had, it was his birthday, but we ended up on some really deep subjects. And one of the things he shared with me was that in Genesis, when it says Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and not ashamed, he said, I've read that that Hebrew word meant clothed in light or glowing, that naked didn't mean like what we automatically assume it meant, but it meant that they were just clothed in light, nothing else, and they were not ashamed. And that then when they sinned and they were naked and ashamed, that he said, what I make of that is they were with God and they were not ashamed. And then they were without God and they didn't have any clothes on and they were ashamed. That the, that the emphasis is on trying to be closer and walking with God. And this makes me jump over to this concept that John said in First John, where he writes all this stuff about God is light and God is no darkness at all. That's where we get, that's one of the places that we get this idea that all sin is, you know, God's got no sin, the least little sin. God didn't have the least little sin. You got the least little sin. Jesus would have died for that. And that one sin is to separate you from God. And the least little sin is as bad as the, as the biggest sin. But then John immediately follows, follows that up. So he said, I write this to you so that you won't sin. Then his very next verse, uh, I, 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 no, first he says, I, I'm writing this because anyone that says they're without sin is a liar and the truth isn't in them. So God is light and him is no sin. And you guys are sinners because if you say you're not, you're a liar. Then the very next verse is, I write this to you so that you won't sin. You know, okay, I'm going to sin. I'm a liar if I don't uh, admit to it, but you want me to not. And this is, this is what, you, you can't legislate certain things. If I can use an example from the world, there's things that people try to legislate, right? That you just can't really legislate. You can't really legislate morality. In, in the same way, 
as much as in the church, we're supposed to try to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, uh, if you're leading, you've certainly got a responsibility to teach. And if you're a shepherd and a leader and a teacher, you've got a responsibility to watch out for the rest of the flock. But sometimes we get confused about we are more successful if we can get people to sin less. And the, the truth is, if we say we're not sinners, we're liars. If we're just saying sin doesn't matter, then we're missing the point. No, the point is to try to be clothed in God. That's what, that's, that's a, and I don't want to get into the whole discussion about, uh, about uh, 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 communal repentance and individual repentance. But this is a passage that to me points to the individual that it's up to each of us, do we want to be clothed with God? And in this life, we're never going to be perfect. We're going to be sinners. And sometimes uh, as a leader, going back to the reason why I, I paternally, I'm sorry, we did really think that if we worked harder, we'd do a better job, that our kids would all, you know, they would avoid a, a lot of the, the sins of the church before us. And in that way, we're no different from any other loving parent that's ever lived. You want your kids to do better and not hit the mistakes that you made. But it, life doesn't life just doesn't work that way. And so consequently, I think a lot of people in leadership with this responsibility, we, we, there's, there have been a lot of mistakes made. And one of them we spent the night talking about. I, I, I believe in our effort to be clothed in God to trying to not sin. Uh, understand, yeah, there's no sin in God. Sins are different. They, they, they just are. The consequences of some sins are way different than the consequences. Any sin is going to make you less clothed in God. But if I hold somebody up in the church and say, I've warned him twice, but he keeps on masturbating to porn. You know, and we got it. You know, if I hold that person up, that, that's on the other hand, if we've got a serial rapist or someone that is, you know, and, and, and we excuse them because the women were dressing seductively and provocative. I mean, th there's a difference in sins there. It, it, it just it just is. And tonight, if you have to choose between pornography or murdering me. Don't murder me, okay? There, there's, there's a difference in those two things. And I know someone's going to say that I just made, no, no. There, there are things that make us less like God. I like, I, you know, I like the word onus too, Gian. The, the onus is on me to want to be more like God. It's not on you. If you love me and you can help me, fine. There's a difference in helping me because I want to be more like God and in protecting the church because I want to hurt other people in the church. There's a difference there. And one of our biggest problems, and this is my last thing for tonight, is for, for a lot of us, we, in our sincere efforts to build a church that we wanted to evangelize the world, help people be saved, a lot of us operated in a paradigm that was already a bit corrupted to begin with. It was corrupted by colonialism, and we just weren't, I mean, we, we were history students. We, we, we knew, we, we knew what we were trying to avoid, 
we didn't know how deep it was. We we didn't we didn't have that concept because we were a bunch of us that started were white neo liberals and and we were just we we're going to do it all differently. We wanted to be multiracial, multicultural, multinational from the start. That was our and we never and we didn't want to be U.S. centric. And like Nadine pointed out, it's 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 so it's so hard, isn't it, little frenzy lady? Yeah, I mean it's just hard for us not to be. Because it's it's where a lot of us started and we're playing catch up. And so uh, thank you for, uh, thanks for being, thanks for still being here. We, we've got a lot of people in the church with the issues today that I just look at them and I, I'm, they're, they're still talking. You're st and folks are still talking and still wanting. And, and uh, one of my lifelong goals, I should have been a martyr 30 years ago and avoided all this. But still being here, one of my lifelong goals has been to not split churches because I grew up in splits. And, uh, and maybe you guys will be the generation that won't have to rebel against the older folks, that won't have to go someplace else or start something completely different because a lot of us that didn't die already won't listen. And uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're very grateful. You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org.